Well, welcome back to our study on our series on social justice. Uh, this is the last of somewhat introductory remarks, although we'll have a lot more discussion today. It's been a struggle to know how to organize it, and I, I can see lots of different ways um, how we could have done it. Um, it's interesting, uh, as I've thought about this and we're talking about it, I don't know if it's just me being more sensitive to the issue, to the term or what, but a couple issues this week would run across this theme. We're watching the Women's World Cup right now, and there's a lot of talk in the press about why the women, you know, in sports get paid less than men in sports, particularly when, you know, it's not so much a commercial endeavor, but representing your country. So it's an interesting discussion. Some countries do um, equal those, and some don't. Um, and then there's a Netflix series my wife and I are watching right now about uh, when there were, I think, five uh, young black teens um, arrested and imprisoned for years and years for raping a girl, and I found out they never did it. At least the way the Netflix series presents it is... It's a real story. <laughs> um, and and I, I've only watched one of them. But there are, there are aspects of the Netflix series that... And I have no idea if it's accurate, but, I mean, the... the Forcing of confessions, they, you know, the, the pressure on the department to get a conviction for all these rapes that have been happening. It, it definitely presents a very unfair, unjust legal system. Uh, so it's just interesting. And these themes are all around us. And it's, it's a really good topic that we're discussing. Yeah, well. Uh, mention on the uh, women's sports and trans women being paid more or less? No. Uh, not, not this, not this week. No, that, that happens. I mean, that's absolutely out there. So it is interesting, and there's, there's, I don't know, maybe just because I'm wishy-washy. When you hear the two sides or the three sides, everyone has a point. And so that's why it's not so easy on some of these issues. And that's why figuring out what God's justice is, what, what biblical justice is, is so important. Having a biblical standard, that still doesn't remove all the controversy, though. But being sensitive, you know, we're all image bearers of God. Um, even the most radical, secular... Social justice warrior has a sense of right and wrong. And there's a lot of mix of motivations, obviously, but there is something good in all that, that, that there, there's a feeling of right and wrong and they're going after it. And that's a good thing. That's something to be encouraged, but you got to separate it from all the bad stuff. And culturally conversant, because people will use the word fair, they'll use the word just in different ways. And we just need to be careful. That's going to be a big issue today. Because there's two specific questions I want to ask today. Is social justice a gospel issue? And is it part of the mission of the church? Um, so I, I kind of want to pair those together. Now, we're, why, why are these important questions? We fashion ourselves as a gospel-centered church. And so the answer to that first question is pretty important, right? Um, we, if, if we're going to use the word gospel a lot and be centered on the gospel, we need to be very clear what we mean by gospel. And, you know, some of the rhetoric that's out there, I read a quote in the first week by a guy that said, the white evangelical church has never had the gospel because they missed the racial issue. So they've never had the gospel. We're still waiting for them to get the gospel. That's a pretty radical statement, depending on how you understand the terminology, right? And those kind of comments are being made. Or, you know, if you ask one Christian, it's a gospel issue, they'll say, well, of course not. And another one will say, of course it is. I asked someone this week, who wouldn't be familiar with all of our theology and such, hey, is this a gospel issue? And they said, well, of course it is. I said, well, what do you mean by that? Well, it's, it's important to Jesus. Well, I, what do you mean by gospel? Do you know what gospel means? No, it means good news. And typically, like at our church, we would talk about good news about what Jesus has done. 
Oh, I wasn't even thinking of that. So don't, don't respond and grasp on to some of these comments and these words too quickly. You know, it's, like I said, it's a time for discussion and pull out of them. And as we hit an issue that goes beyond Westminster, right? We're going outside of our little walls, our reformed walls into the dark world, right? People are going to, even Christians are going to use terms very differently than we might use them here. And you got to be open to that and sensitive to that. It means it's going to take time in the conversation. And then, of course, if you go into the world and talk to someone who doesn't have any biblical basis, their concepts and words and phrases mean something different. So slow down, have a conversation. It's going to be a great time in that conversation, if they're willing to have it, to, to teach them some real biblical truth. But you've got to be careful of your Christianese sometimes. Uh, also, what is the, is it part of the mission of the church? Well, we, we're very big on local church and what we're supposed to do as a local church. And one of my goals at the end is what will Spring Meadows specifically do in our new location in this arena, or at least start that discussion. And so we need to know what the mission of the church is. Um, today we're going to talk mostly about, I guess we're going to hit this one and this one. And mostly I'm going to talk about this one here. I can't remember what our second goal was. You guys have handouts from the other weeks, you'll remember. But I've been, I've been talking about individually, everyone agrees, right side of the board we've been drawing, on the individual nature of doing good, doing justice. There's clearly something we as individual Christians are supposed to do from a justice perspective. It becomes murkier and murkier how much the church as a whole should do. We are going to go back to talking more about individuals. I haven't hit this yet enough. If you're not being convicted yet, we're going to talk a lot about this. Going forward, we're going to get into more specific issues, and that's where the controversies come. Um, particularly the two areas I want to talk about are wealth and race. Um, I don't, we've talked about gender and LGBTQ, and there's all sorts of other social justice stuff, but I think if we use those kind of examples as case studies, uh, probably like three weeks on each of those, we're going to, we're going to get into the whole idea of individual and, uh, corporate responsibility in those areas in that, uh, in those specific topics. Josh, would you mind praying for us? Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would um, give us hearts that are um, sensitive to uh, your heart and would desire the thing that uh, you want us to desire and what, what is important to you. Pray that you would uh, give heat, uh, wisdom and grace as he teaches this morning and uh, pray that you would help us to be willing to learn Jesus' name. Amen. So, the, and uh, my main reference today is going to be Kevin DeYoung. Last week it was Tim Keller. So both Tim, Tim, uh, De- Kevin DeYoung's written a great article on that very first question. Is it a gospel issue? So look it up. It's great. And then he's the co-author with Greg Gilbert of this book, What is the Mission of the Church? And this goes way beyond social justice issues, but very good resources. And so I'm going to be kind of presenting his view of these things as, as a view that we can respond to. Um, so the first question you really have to say what do you mean by gospel is social justice a gospel issue first let's ask what do you mean by gospel now gospel means good news right particularly good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus so we proclaim that good news we preach it we bear witness to it we testify to it so first we'd say there is a narrow view so relatively there there would be at least two ways that you could understand good news I think around here we tend to use it in this narrow way we're specifically talking about Christ's work and how we are saved by faith in believing that work of Christ. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation 
to everyone who believes. Acts 13, brothers, to us has been sent this message of salvation. Jesus was executed, hanged on a tree. He was God raised him from the dead. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything that cannot be freed from the law of Moses. And so that's, that is typically, I think, around Spring Meadows, that well, we use the term good news. But you gotta realize, it's not always used in that narrow specific case in the scriptures. You gotta decide which one. Sometimes it's not very clear. Sometimes it simply says something like, uh, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Well, what's meant by that? Certainly we don't, we don't keep the kingdom of God as just meaning salvation, right? It's the establishment of his rule and authority. Isaiah 9. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so when Acts 8 and 28 refer to the gospel of the kingdom, does it mean that narrow sense or this broader sense? Well, other passages are more specific. Acts 10. Part of that passage there, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, they put him to death, hanging him on a tree. God raised him on the third day. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So we have the elements of, of what happened with Jesus, his life, death, uh, resurrection, and then the need to believe in those facts, believe in what happened there to be saved, to be forgiven. But in that passage, he also talks about you know what happened? That all that Jesus did, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And he commanded to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So there's at least two aspects there that might go beyond that broad, that broad um, definition of gospel. So now we're focused on, on all that Jesus did in his life. Not just in the fact that he obeyed the law and died to the law and has given us forgiveness, but what did he actually do in his life? He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. That's part of the good news. That's part of the news of what Jesus has done. As well, it says that he's going to be, he's appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And we've talked a lot about this. Certainly the cross is the center of all of our thinking. But, you know, there's creation, there's fall, there's always study in the Old Testament. That's not really a lot of time to give Israel and all that God has been doing. But then it comes to Jesus. And then there's obviously the life of Christ. There's the witness of the apostles that we're reading from now. And then we're in here somewhere. You know, our life is, is this little tidbit of all of history. And eventually there's going to be the second coming the sheet's going to get in the way for some people. The judgment, the consummation, the end of the ages, the eschaton. So we're just this little sliver in all of history. Christ is at the center. The good news of what God has done in Christ certainly centers on death, burial, resurrection, um, what he secured for us in salvation. But there's also God working in all of history. He's been doing good things. It's all centered here, and he's continuing to do those things. Until the judgment. Romans 2. Their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, 
God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. So according to the gospel, includes the judgment of God. That's not how we normally talk about it. I, at least I don't. So the question remains, oh, I missed the whole page. 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 15. Uh, Tim just preached on this in, uh, in Easter. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, in which you stand, in which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. There's a gospel that was preached that we need to believe to be saved. What are the elements of those gospel, of that gospel? Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So you kind of see that's what we mean by that narrow view. I don't mean narrow in a bad sense, just as it's used differently. But at the end of that passage, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to destroy is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Again, these elements of what is, are still to come under this entire uh, passage about the gospel. Colossians 1 doesn't use the word gospel, but it's just a good example of, and we talked about this in Ephesians 1, where God has created all things, there's this fall, there's this work of redemption being done, and through Christ, all things are going to be reconciled to him. All things in heaven and on earth. All of this world is going to be consummated and reconciled in Christ because of what he's done. And then he says, and you, who once are alien and hostile of mine, doing evil deeds. He has called to himself. He has reconciled you. And so it's just a great reminder. Sometimes we're so individualistic in our understanding of our salvation that, you know, God has looked down on me. This is certainly true. He has focused on me. He has named me individually. He knows every hair of my head. Um, that gives me such confidence that the, the sovereign God of all the universe, of all these billions of people he created, he knows me by name. It's such an important truth. And yet there's the other side of that is my salvation is just part of this grand plan of Christ reconciling all things to himself. You can piece scriptures together. It's, it's God the Father loves his son. And part of the love gift he's going to give to a son is a redeemed humanity. So we're just, we're just all part of some wedding gift to his son. We're just like a little token. So there's, there's a sense that the personal salvation that I have is so near and dear and so important. And yet there's a humbling aspect that I, it's almost like my personal salvation is just a byproduct of what's going on in the Trinity. Right? There's just this, this love fest going on in the Trinity. The Father loves the Son. And like we've said, God could have created us, we could have sinned, we could have died, he would be just. No promise, no hope for salvation. God doesn't owe that to anybody. And yet, because he loves his son, he's going to redeem some people and present them to him on the last day. It's mind-boggling. It's absolutely humbling. We should always understand where we are in, the, in this picture, even where our, where our personal salvation is, where us as a church are. We're part of this grand plan that God is doing in all of history. Uh, Romans 6 is a good example of that. All that Father gives me will come to me. So, Jesus is saying, God the Father has given me people. So I've come to redeem the people that he's given me. Right? It's amazing. And so, when we use the word gospel, we use the word good news. Now, you may prefer that we stick with the narrow sense. And that's fine. 
just realize that when people are using the terms, don't jump too quickly. You've got to ask what they mean by it. Uh, and part, especially, uh, especially people outside of our circles. Don't you think it's a matter of emphasis? Sure. Uh, and priority. Uh, the, the problem I see, we were talking about this 1984 or so. Uh, the problem I see is that people don't emphasize the narrow sense, the broad sense of essential. And the gospel is lost. And the gospel is the only thing that can keep us from doing social justice as works righteousness. And deliver us from drawing another line where I stand on the right side of it and say I'm better than you. And so while the point is true that both are, are important in the church, is it right, this is the question I'm asking, is it right for one to be a priority in terms of emphasis, because emphasizing something doesn't mean you're not doing the other. But it's a recognition that in the history of the church, if somebody can correct me if they know of a good example, we have never seen social justice done without losing the gospel. Well, and that is the concern of those on that side. And that's why we've, we've tried to say these aren't binary categories. It really is, is a, it comes down to very often an emphasis, a priority, um, and we're going to get to that specific question in the mission of the church, and that's why I wanted to tie these two together. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're stealing my thunder, but that's all right. We'll read it while we're here. It's on one of these pages. Yeah, and then that's the word that's used here. Well, we'll get to it because I don't know where it is out there. But you're right, and th- and that's why. Talking about these things and being precise is important. And so we say, well, is, is social justice a gospel issue? Well, we can immediately rule out this category, right? If we're talking about the narrow sense that Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and our needing to believe in that is what saves us, there's no room in that for social justice, for any kind of justice, for good works, in the sense that that's not part of that good news story of what Christ did on the cross. In a narrow sense. And so we'd say, no, if that's what you mean by gospel, and that's always an important distinction to make, right? We've said before that social justice is an example of the good works we do in the world. And so if you are going to use the categories of law and gospel, um, that's real prevalent in Reformed writings, then yeah, you would want to say no. Social justice belongs to law or gospel. Law, right? That's how we're to live in light of the gospel. Now, we also don't want to separate these to the point that Someone might just be saying, is this a gospel issue in the sense is, do we expect the gospel to produce certain works, right? And so, in that sense, that's a really good question. Here's a quote from Al Mohler. There's one gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and is called upon all to repent of their sins, place their complete dependence on him for eternal salvation. The gospel, which by that I think he means the narrow gospel that I've said here, has social implications, and as people submit to it, it will produce social transformation. But make no mistake, social justice is a result of the gospel, not the gospel itself. And I take them to mean this sense of the gospel. There's the church website. Spring Meadows exists for the purpose of preaching the gospel, believing the gospel, and living with one another in the world by implications of the gospel. So in that sense, social justice, or any good we would do in the world, would be an implication of the gospel. It would be the expected fruit 
of the gospel. So in that sense, it is a gospel issue. Because where we see, you know, we expect to see fruit, right? The last day, if, if a tree doesn't have good fruit, it's going to be judged and condemned. You know, if you don't have the works of the Father, I never knew you, and you never knew me. So we, we do have expectations because of this gospel. I don't have time for that long quote. We'll see at the end. So, now we get, now we need, so in the sense of the broad gospel, if by the broad gospel we mean the fruit of the narrow gospel, by the implications of the gospel, we would expect, because God doesn't just do his work in history magically from above, right? Sometimes he does that. But he's usually using us as his people, right? So if God is doing good things, there's a, there's a history of good things. There's a good news being done in the world through us, his people. You could say social justice or justice or good work, whatever term you prefer is part of that grand plan. So in that broad sense of the good news, you could perhaps say it's part of the gospel. Uh, but now we need to look at, okay, now what do we mean by social justice? Because we don't want to just think anything called social justice is biblical justice or is God's justice. And we're going to, I'm not going to answer that a lot today because that's what really most of the rest of the class is going to be about. Trying to grab onto specific issues, specific passages from the, from the Bible, specific issues that are talked about today and us wrestling as a class with, would that fall in line with biblical justice or what are the principles involved? But let me just suggest, well, I'm agreeing with Kevin DeYoung that the more this, and this is kind of maybe less binary, but more of a spectrum, the more specific we get, the less chance that this would be part, what we would call the good news, that we could definitively proclaim this is the good news or this is what God is doing in the world. This is what God expects. But there are general principles that maybe we can apply to. So what do I mean? If Certainly we could say God cares for the poor and the oppressed, right? We could say something broad like that. We need to have a heart for those who are vulnerable. That seems to be a very easy and clear message to give. And yet, if you get to something specific like, God says build the wall, right? Or God says don't build the wall. Well, now we're kind of getting into some shakier territory. And where we draw that line might be a little fuzzy in here. And really, I think we're going to find out that we probably disagree on where that line is drawn. But I think we do need to be careful. If we're going to say this is a gospel issue, this is something that um, is necessarily an implication of the gospel, if you prefer that phrase, we need to be careful the more and more specific we get. Or we, God says to vote for whatever candidate, right? That We've kind of gone too far at that point. And we'll get into those specifics uh, as the class goes forward. Whether we use the term or not, Christians are engaged in social justice when we advocate for issues such as abortion, racial reconciliation, religious liberty, and sex trafficking. We engage in social justice whenever we seek moral reform of our society in a way that ensures every person is treated with dignity and given their due. And so our church already, you could say, is involved in certain aspects. Um, what was the, we used to do the Christmas giving, the Christmas gift giving at the end. We we often collect um, supplies for the different ministries some of our folks are involved in, right? And we talked last week, there was kind of um, different areas going right to left again to keep in line with the previous weeks. There would be different levels of social justice, you could say. There's, there's a relief. And this is, a, I, for sure, our church is involved in this. Anything we do through the diaconate is at a relief level. 
Someone's in trouble. There's a, there's an emergency. We got to take. It's like a triage, right? You're kind of taking care of a, of a situation, and then you can get into more development. Well, I'm sure some of your ministry gets into that, right? You work with people long term. You want to you want to develop their just skills to get to get by, and then there would be the much much harder work, and would take a lot more recess to really get into social form to to reform the judicial system, right? To advocate for a change in laws, something like that. Um, we'll talk about that in the mission. So now let me go to, is social justice part of the mission of the church? So why is this an important question? First of all, if it's the mission of the church, that's your stated goal, right? That's what you do. That's what you're about. Then you ought to do it. There's no option there. If, if, if social justice is our mission, we have to do it. There's not a discussion point. Now, if it's not our mission, now we have to decide, can we do it? Now we can do it. Now we have to decide if we should do it, right? And now it kind of gets into a fuzzier level. And you've got your chart there on the sheet. If it's the mission of our church, then it's a high priority. It's our focus. It's the reason we say it's actually our identity. If it's not our mission, it's a lower priority. And now we're going to do it as, as we can, as long as it doesn't keep us from doing our real mission, right? Whatever that mission might be. For instance, we've said on the right side of that board the whole time, evangelism and discipleship, right? Preaching the gospel. Those are things that we would all agree, I think, that's the mission of our church. So now if social justice is not part of that, then we can do it, but we have to be careful not to take away from the influence. And that's where Tim's kind of saying, we, we've got to watch watch that focus, right? Watch the priorities. If it's the mission of our church, if, if social justice is a church issue, it's a church identity issue, we might be pickier on our partnerships, right? Such as in evangelism. I would imagine we're going to be pretty picky on who we go evangelize with, right? If we go do evangelism with other churches. We're going to be very careful who we partner with, who, who someone might think we're, we're, we're tied to. Well, if social justice is not part of the mission, can we be more flexible on those partnerships? Because we don't have to be so concerned that they have the same doctrine or whatnot. It's a question. Let's look at some of these. So some people, the verses there, Luke 4 we, we read this before, uh, quoting Isaiah. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so those who would say that this is part of our mission would turn to pastors like this and say, see, all, all that has been talked about, sight to the blind, liberty to the oppressed, um, caring for the poor, the good news of the poor, is now to be worked out in Jesus. And as we, as the body of Christ, as the proclamation of what Jesus is doing in the world, that becomes very necessary and very, by nature, part of our mission to do all of those things. What does it mean that it's fulfilled in Christ? Some people say, well, he's fulfilled it, it's done. Those issues are dealt with. Well, that could certainly be taken too far. You can, you can start to see uh, why people disagree on these things. John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. But take part, I have overcome the world. Well, we just saw an example. At how has the Father sent Jesus? He did care for the poor and the blind and the oppressed, right? So you need to go do the same. 
One thing I think that we tend to do that is easy for us to do is take a verse like that and think about uh, it applying to our spiritual state, which I think it certainly does. But when we see what Jesus did, he's doing both. He is mostly, he's more concerned for spiritual blindness, but he's also delivering people from oppression that they're experiencing physically and socially as well. Yeah. And certainly we would look at even some of the miracles, the physical healing miracles, as, as a teaching moment of spiritual reality, right? The whole idea of leprosy, right? We can understand um, from a spiritual aspect. Um, and so, you know, the, the not-mission people would, would say, well, you can't just take a verse like John 20, 2021, and say that we do everything that Jesus did, right? He died for our sins. Are we supposed to go die for sins? Well, no. So you can't just say just because Jesus did it means we're supposed to do it. We can't make that leap too quickly. Uh, John Stott would say that mission is our service. Or our, our mission is service, which makes social action a full partner with evangelism. So it's John Stott would raise up service, um, acts of mercy, social justice, whatever you want to call it, and he would put it on, I don't know how he would defend that. I can't remember if this was him saying or someone you know, talking about him would say it's, it's very far up there um, with evangelism. It, it would be almost on par with it. Isaiah 1, um, if you read that passage, basically our worship isn't accepted. The people's worship wasn't accepted because of their injustice through the rest of their week, right? These were unjust people trying to come to worship God, and God wasn't having it. Their worship was not acceptable because they were unjust people. And I'll let you read through those. Um, on the no-mission side, basically, people like De Young would make the argument that we need to turn to um, the Great Commission. There's a few passages, but Matthew 20 is kind of the main one we typically read. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what the authority of Christ being passed to the apostles and presumably to the church for the ages. So we're, we're supposed to go. We're supposed to make disciples. Supposed to baptize and teach them to observe all the canon. And that would be the role as a church to do those things. Now you say, well, he's, we're to teach them everything, right? Which would include justice, <laughs> social justice. But, so the question now would be, so is the church going to go do that social justice? Or is it teaching individuals to do that in their own line, right? So we at Spring Meadows might not be involved directly, organizationally in that, but Tim would, it would be part of Tim's preaching then to teach you all things, including caring for the poor, the blind, the oppressed, and that you and your individual lives would carry that out, which is where a lot of churches would stand. So that's the question. Mark 16, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. So people would say, see, that's a pretty narrow focus to go and preach and worry about salvation. Luke 24, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So a lot of people who would want to stay away from it being called mission of the church would say there's a lot of narrowness, that's the word, being done here that we're focusing on the narrow gospel. We're focusing on believing, being baptized, and of course being discipled. But as an organization, as a church, to be careful to stray too far.
one quote, if everything is mission, nothing is mission, right? You have to focus. You have to prioritize. Don't make the body do what the parts are doing. Now, some people would go so far as say, it's not our mission, and therefore we shouldn't do it. So I'll let you guys argue for that if you want. Um, or maybe it just becomes, you know, what what can you do? How far can you go? We can do relief. All right, do we have more... Do we have more ability to go over here? Do we have more time for development? Um, Mueller says we should be involved in relief and, and some level of development, but social reform is too big for the local church. We're not equipped for it. Um, and that should be more in civil actions. But, and I'm sure he has his case for where he'd draw that line. So that's where I want to get at some of our questions. Um, I, for the most part, probably agree with Young that it's not, I, I wouldn't be as comfortable calling it part of our mission. But it's something we can do. We ought to do as much as we can without, without, um, you know, hurting evangelism, discipleship, and those types of things. Um, and that, and that's the one that is harder to discuss and figure out. Where do we draw that line? How much is too much? When do you start to hurt the focus of your mission? But I'm happy for anyone to defend if it's part of the mission, or it's not the mission and we shouldn't do it. You know, more those those outer categories. So I gave you a list of discussion questions there. We can pick up any of those you want, or you can come up with your own. But specifically, how would our work in evangelism relate to our work in social justice? Where, where do the priorities go? Would we do those at the same time? Would those be different endeavors? There's all sorts of sub-questions that we could ask there. Um, there's a lot of passages, and I, this is a little unfair to ask because I haven't turned to a lot of them yet, but say the sheep and the goats, right? Of, of giving water, um, feeding and clothing, uh, James 2. Your brother or sister comes to you is lacking in daily clothes. So there's a lot that is very clear that as a body we are to care for one another. It's very clear. And Galatians 6 talks about it, especially those with the household of faith. Can you take those passages and, and should you take those passages and apply them to the world as well? Good question. And then the last one I've written there, and this is probably the, the coolest one to talk about in my opinion, but and it's hard. What guiding or limiting principle can we use to decide, you know, to Tim's point, how far is too far? When when would we know? Say we move to this new property, we want to get involved in something, we decide that this is what we're going to do. How are we going to know that we're focusing too much? How do we know we're, we've neglected the gospel? How do we know that we've, you know, it's eaten up too much of our time? Um, those are the kind of practical hard things I want to ask. So, what do you want to talk about? Yeah. I wrote an article many years ago, maybe the title of the article was Should Christians Push Their Shopping Cart Back to the Park? <laughs> so I'm taking this to the lowest level of granularity. So now I want you to see where is your heart? If you're going to go grocery shopping and just push it out there to roll into someone's car, I think there's an issue. Alright? So I want to start there and then build because should Christians obey the speed limit? You know, you can you can start. Yes, you can. These are hard issues on doing good for all others, picking up your trash, being a good citizen. <clears throat> and some people will come out and say, "Well, Mark, you're talking legalism here," and I'm just I, I'm on your side, Keith. I, these are questions I ask myself. And by the way, I always. <laughs> <laughs> and it's 
I don't care how far that cart travels. Would you say pushing the cart back is a gospel issue? Yes, I would. And what do you mean by that? It's a heart issue if, broadly speaking, that, uh, and this was the nature of my article, and I, I was, you know, God speaks to us in metaphors, and this shopping cart thing is just a metaphor. You know, I just want to say, you know, if we're Christians, you know, if you have a, a bumper sticker that, you know, is Christian-oriented, and people see you breaking the law and acting like an idiot on the roads, I mean... That's why I don't put those on my car. <laughs> but you, obviously you wouldn't say that... I'm breaking this down to a real low level of granularity. Right. Where our actions are... What motivates us to do that? Obviously you wouldn't say because you push your cart back, or anyone does, is saved because of that. But a saved person would expect to be lived a certain way. Because it, sh- it shows where your heart's at. Watch, you know? Someone might say, man, I know that you always push your shopping cart back to the cart corral. No, I'm serious. I'd be awesome. That's a pipe dream, but I love it. <laughs> Terry. Um, I think that if we all look back over our lives as Christians, we can see how God has touched us to do things that... Although this this label social justice is sort of the term of the 21st century, we've had other terms going back through the decades. And I remember being a young Christian in high school, and this new girl came to school, and she was not socially desirable in the circles of my class. And I remember that conviction that I should befriend her, and I'm, I will not, I did not have the right heart attitude, but yes, she sat with myself and another friend at lunch, and we kind of became a group, and I don't think I ever had the right attitude about that, and I hope, I don't know, I've lost track of her, I don't know what her situation is, but that was a gospel thing, because the Lord wants us to reach out to people. And um, those things abound in our lives. The shopping cart, that's an issue of loving other people, loving the people who work at the store, loving the guy with the new car who doesn't want it to get dinged. I mean, those are small things that it starts with. And I kind of skipped in my notes, you might have saw in there, but one way of thinking about this is, Wanting to do social justice or good works or acts of mercy, whatever you want to call it, from a gospel motivation, right? It's not out of guilt. Well, guilt might be part of it, but we want to move to a gospel motivation because, um, because the wrong motivations aren't going to last, right? You're not, you're not going to carry these things on very far because you're going to be doing them in the flesh. But to be moved to, to think of the shopping cart thing, not as a rule, not as guilt, but as I love my neighbor. And, and where is my heart when I don't want to do it? Um, and turn it into that, because that, that kind of motivation will last, yeah. Um, okay, so we're talking about SFPC as how we define where missions come in and what is the mission. But to me, it's more a thing like with Walt's ministry. We, we support something that's proven to be working, but it doesn't become our identity. 
Um, when I was young, my father headed up a Sunday school where they went into inner cities and worked with establishing Sunday schools in the poor black neighborhoods. Um, so they got different churches to support them. It wasn't the church's identity, but the church gave so that that So more of focusing through parachurch <coughs> organizations. So striking the is that because it strikes a balance where the church can kind of stay focused on that mission? Uh, or somebody's more equipped, better equipped than the church? Right. But Someone is, is called to do that mission work and is out to three thousand people and had the resources. We ha we happen to have people in our midst that were qualified or, or very good in that specific area. So the same people that were involved in that parachurch, what if all those churches were one church? Would it be okay or right or wrong, do you think, for that church then to all the same work would be done, but now it's all in one church versus multiple churches in the parachurch? I don't think it should be a church identity. Okay. Okay, I saw it. That's what I was saying the same thing, because then it becomes the church identity to help one specific cause, and that shouldn't be that way. You know, because it's, there's such a, a variety of people, there's so many different issues that go on in the community that you're limiting yourself instead of supporting their church ministry. But it, I mean, it's, at some point your church runs out of money, right? Say you say you support all these parachurch organizations, you're still limiting yourself at some point. You're still making a decision. We're going to support this ministry and not that one, right? So, so your 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 physical ministry is always tied to the gospel. The, the gospel. Right. Tim, you need to say anything before you go? Social justice ministries are always the last thing to 
As long as our reaction isn't, we can't do everything, so let's not start, yeah. right? <laughs> we, Going off of that, what Pastor said, uh, we can't do everything for the Pastor. Now, Pastor, not for the person, but for the I, th- I think from a sovereignty of God understanding too is God could feed everyone with the manna, right? Or with the ravens. So perhaps what he's doing having us go out and do that is for us as well, right? It's, it's to look at our heart. Um, it, yeah, God's none of this is beyond God. But he's he, he is working out his history through us and changing our lives in the process. Um I saw some hat. We have time for one more comment. I just want to kind of go back to some things that you were saying, something you said earlier, and that is how people are individually different. Having been a member of this small ragtag bunch for over 30 years, we often get people come up and say, we think the church ought to be doing X. We thought, okay, we're putting you in charge of it. You see, Amazing to see from time to time where people are gifted in a particular way, and they 
wow, that's wonderful when you get that. But when you don't have someone who's gifted in that area, you know, people might say, well, you're not doing that, and you ought to be doing this. And they go, we are men. God's obviously put it on your heart. Yeah. Right. So, and, and, you know, we need more of that. You know, we need people who, you know, as Tim often says, want to come down and claim all these things. We want to watch the elders and pastors So I'm sure you, there's a lot of questions and comments still. We still have another eight weeks, so don't worry. So I think what we're going to end up doing next week is starting to jump in some of the passages that people would use for social justice, and particularly along the lines of wealth and poverty. Well, we're going to be kind of on that for a few weeks. Um, so there's going to be some challenging questions and scenarios I want to put out to you and have some, a lot of discussion in the next few weeks. And then we'll go into the race issues. So all you people who like to cause trouble, just don't come to those. So, you close us in prayer. Yeah. Our Father, we give thanks for what Jesus has done for us. We give thanks to you for calling us when we are not deserving of it. Father, we pray that we would have hearts that care for others, uh, not only for their eternal safety and comfort, but for their worldly comfort. Lord, let us uh, be models of your love to the extent we can. We pray, Lord, that you bless us with that, that you would give us a desire to, to serve, to seek justice, and uh, that it would all be to your glory.